Hello, everybody. Welcome to Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Slamini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. This is my 31st year for me on the Jets beat. That is a crazy amount of time, but uh, still loving the job. And really want to thank you all for listening to my podcast. Hopefully, you'll be entertained. Maybe learn a little something along the way here about your favorite team as the 2019 season draws closer. We're almost there. I'm about ready for preseason to be over. I think I I can't even imagine how the players feel. It gets monotonous after a while, but uh, we're almost there. This will be a special show. Our guest is Peter King, the legendary football writer and author of Peter King's Football Morning in America on the NBC Sports website. And i really looking forward to chatting with Peter because he knows a lot of stuff. In the third quarter, we'll do our Twitter Q&A. And, of course, in the fourth quarter, I'll share an annual press box tradition that sparks intense, I'm telling you, intense competition among the writers. For now, it's the first quarter. A couple of things I want to get off my chest. You know, the roster cutdowns will be coming in a week. Uh, very closely in a week. And so this is a very busy time in the NFL. So I'm going to go through some quick hitter predictions on what I think the Jets will do as they get ready to pair their roster from 90 to 53. It is, uh, it's an amazing process that happens. You think about 37 guys are losing their job on one day pretty much. And, uh, it's the, uh, it's the bad part of the business. But anyway, some quick hitters as I look into my crystal ball. I do not think Joe Douglas will make a blockbuster trade for a cornerback. Uh, maybe a small one, maybe something off the waiver wire, but not a blockbuster. They will be active on the waiver wire. They had the third waiver priority. It wouldn't shock me if they come away with three, four, maybe even five waiver pickups. Uh, they, I think they're going to go with only two quarterbacks. So that means bad news for Davis Webb and Luke Falk. I think they will keep Falk on the practice squad. Running back. I think Bilal Powell and Trenton Cannon make it. Eli McGuire, no. No room at the end for him. I think they'll only go with four. I think time's up for Eric Tomlinson, the tight end, who's been around for a couple of years. Uh, looking on defensive side, one more offensive thing. The Jets will add a veteran wide receiver. They've been looking at this. They've looked at some guys. They looked at Dontrell Inman, who ended up signing with the Chargers. Uh, they're looking for a guy, and especially if they could find a guy who can be a receiver and return kickoffs and punts, that's what they're looking for. I think they'll get one. Uh, defensively, rookie Ja'Kai Polite makes the team barely, barely. Nathan Shepard, last year's third-round pick, I think he's in big trouble. I think the scholarship might be up this year on Nathan Shepard. There's been some chatter about Steve McClendon. He is not going anywhere. He is a lock to make this team. Adam Gay said so this week. He said, quote, no chance they're moving on from Steve McClendon. I think uh, punting-wise, there's a quote-unquote punting competition. I think they're going to stick with Locke Edwards. I think he's got a strong supporter in special teams coordinator Brant Boyer, and he's also a pretty good holder, so I think they're going to stick with Locke Edwards. They're going through a lot of field goal issues now, as we know. I don't think they want to change two-thirds of their operation, holder and kicker, so I think they'll stick with Edwards. And we're going to end with the field goal situation. Taylor Bertolette, 
You know, he did have a rough go last week in Atlanta, but he's had a good week of practice, according to Adam Gase. They think he's been consistent in practice. So I think he's got a, I don't want to say, you know, he's got a decent chance at winning this job. I think it'll come down to Saturday night against the Saints. If he nails it, then I think they could open the season with Taylor Bertolet. That's the end of the first quarter. Second quarter coming up with Peter King. Welcome to the second quarter at Flight Deck. Uh, my guest today is uh, really, quite frankly, the best football writer in America. It's Peter King, the author of Peter King's Monday Morning in America, Football Morning in America column, which is required reading for every fan on Monday morning. Uh, that's via the NBC Sports website. And he's just back from a training camp tour that lasted 24 days, 23 teams, 22 stops, and 116 people that he interviewed. That is amazing. And, Peter, thanks so much for being with us today. Hey, Rich. Happy to be with you. How are you? I'm doing great, Peter. Uh, you know, we uh, we chatted a couple of weeks ago. It was at Jets camp, so I guess that was very early in your journey this summer, correct? Yeah. Um, that was... I went to Denver first, then I came back. I live in Brooklyn. I went to Denver first because they were the first one to open. And then I started on the East Coast. I started at the Jets. It's interesting. I had to make a decision because of logistics. I had to make a decision whether to go to the Giants or the Jets and then head down because I had a couple of kind of solid dates that I had to make uh, down the coast. And so I could only go to one team early. And I just had this theory that the Jets were going to be really interesting. (laughs) You know, and and they were. You know, they they were interesting. Uh, And they are interesting. And uh, I remember being on the sidelines at camp talking to you and just looking around at the abundance of stories. You know, there's Le'Veon Bell you know, trying to get used to his new world. There's there's Greg Williams screaming at everybody on defense. Right. You know, there's and you know, the the story that's been sort of forgotten, you guys all wrote about this, I guess back in June, but I am still totally fascinated by the convergence of Greg Williams, Joe Vitt and Adam Gase. It is a total uh you know, all in the family deal. And uh and it, it just it just really fascinates me that that uh, particularly that Greg Williams and and Joe Vitt are now all of a sudden one big happy family. Quite frankly, I'm a little dubious about the one big happy family part of it. Yeah, Greg Williams' son is on the staff there, and of course everybody knows that you know Joe Vitt is Adam Gase's father-in-law. So there's a very it's like a tangled. A lot of tangled web of you know connections there. But what was your vibe when you when you left Jet Camp? What kind of vibe did you get after talking to people there uh, about the upcoming season? Well, I think Rich, the when I look at this team right now, I think they're going to be pretty good on defense. And you know, to me, I do think uh, the Avery Williamson injury is is is. Uh, is a tough one, uh, you know, because of the role he was going to play. But I, I think in general, the thing that would that would worry me the most about this team right now <clears throat> is the offensive line. And I'm not telling you anything that you or any Jets fan doesn't know, but 
you know, there's a difference in what uh, what Le'Veon Bell had in Pittsburgh, which was a top five offensive line and a top five offensive line coach, mm-hmm. you know, in Mike Munchak. And now he goes to the Jets and he goes to a bottom five offensive line. And, and I don't really know uh, much about, um, you know, not only about all these new guys on the line and all these, and the, and the, the new offensive line coach, you know, who's on his third team in three years, but you just sort of get the feeling that if somehow, some way the offensive line is okay, this is going to be a pretty good team. This should be an above 500 team, but that's a big ask based on, um, what I think we all think now, which is that, um, I mean, I really question whether the offensive line is going to hold up. And I think for Le'Veon Bell to be great, um, as, as any running back would tell you, he's got to have a really good offensive line. But, but overall, I mean, I, I got a good vibe out of the Jets. I, I really felt strongly about Sam Darnold, um, as everybody there does. It's almost nothing but good news. Rich, it was really interesting. When I went to talk to him, um, I had met uh, Sam at the scouting combine but when he was coming out, but I was just a, a face in the crowd to him. He, he wouldn't have remembered me at all. But, but what was really interesting, he walks up to me when I'm going to talk to him, and he goes, hey, he said, I, I, I want to tell you, I really enjoy your podcast. I listen to all the quarterback interviews on your podcast, and they're really, really interesting. So... He just—he's got a little bit of awareness to him, as as I'm sure you guys know. Um, and he's one of these guys who you can tell he was raised right. You can tell. I I said something to him. <clears throat> you got you you remember clearly at Detroit last year, and I forget who tweeted this out, but it was one of the most interesting tweets that I saw last year. Remember when when after the game last year. Uh, when when Sam's parents were standing outside the locker room, and yeah. here comes Josh McCown, and they give and the mother gives Josh McCown a bear hug, and yeah. and it's just I I said that was fantastic, and I told him, and he goes, hey, listen, Josh was unbelievable with me to me, and there's no way I'd be where I am today without Josh McCown. Yeah, that was actually my tweet, Peter. I was, I was standing right it there. It was good you, Rich. Yeah, I had my camera ready to roll, and, and I took the video, and I got more views on that tweet uh, than I think on any tweet I've ever had. It was you you hit the nail on the head. It was just a really cool scene. It was like Josh was part of their family, you know, the way they hugged him. And uh yeah. Yeah, Sam. So you're you're buying the Sam Darnold stock this year, I take it, the way you're talking. I am. I mean, I don't know yet. I don't know. I mean, he just <clears throat> it's like asking me, am I buying the Jimmy Garoppolo stock? Yes, but he's only played 10 games. So how do right. I know? I don't mm-hmm. know. But I'm very, very bullish on Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm bullish on Sam Darnold, too. I just need to see it for a longer period of time. And that is what I think, you know, Rich, there's something good and there's something bad about the length of the NFL offseason. And what's good is that it sort of gives people a chance to recharge and, and it gets fans a chance to, 
to kind of get excited about their team and all that. And for everybody to enter the year optimistically and to say, hey, if X, Y, and Z go right, we could be pretty good. And who knows? Maybe we could contend for a playoff spot in January or in December. But the bad part of that is that, you know, and I forget how many games Sam Darnold has started, what, 11 or 12? I, 10? Uh, I don't thir- even know. Thir- 13, yeah. So, yeah. Not many. But, but, yeah, but so right now you're asking every Jets fan to take a huge leap of faith and believe that Sam Darnold is the Messiah. And, look, there's no question in my mind that, you know, if I, if I had my choice, uh, you know, I, I, and, and I could have Sam Darnold or 10 or 12 other starters in the NFL right now, absolutely, I would take him. But that doesn't mean absolutely that the deal is done and he's going to be a really good long-term quarterback. We just don't know that yet. Um, but the signs are good, and uh, I would, I'd, be, I'd be bullish. I'd be buying his stock right now. And I think so. I think a lot of what of Sam's season hinges on Adam Gase. Uh, we haven't talked too much about Adam yet. You mentioned earlier with the uh, you know the Greg Williams, but the, one of the interesting relationships to me is Gase and Joe Douglas because we know what happened to the last GM, Mike McCagnan. He got fired, and now Joe Douglas is in. Did you get a chance to talk with him at all? And how do you see this pairing, this this surprisingly late marriage coming together with Gase and Douglas? How do you see that working out? Well, I mean, I did, I did um, talk to Joe. I, I recorded him for a podcast that I'm going to use in September. And it was sort of a timeless thing about the rise of Joe Douglas and who is this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, Rich, I, I mean, I am I, – I, listen, I am very high on Joe Douglas. I remember after the San Francisco-Baltimore Super Bowl asking somebody with the Ravens, Take me back in time and tell me, how did Joe Flacco get on your uh, radar screen? Tell me the history of it. And this guy said to me, he said, you got to go find Joe Douglas. He was the big key guy in getting us to draft Joe Flacco. So I went and found him in the locker room, and I ended up writing a lot about him after after that game because... He 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 started the whole Ravens fascination uh, with Flacco, and he saw right away that he was he was going to be better than probably you know the common wisdom in the NFL thought. Um, but but I that you ask a great question. I mean, for a general manager to be sort of surveying his kingdom right now in training camp. With Joe Douglas, to me, it's so weird, okay, because think about what Joe Douglas has on his plate right now. The gigantic money free agent in Le'Veon Bell, he had nothing to do with. The starting quarterback, you know, he had nothing to do with. Uh, the head coach, he had nothing to do with. I mean, it's a little bit. Yeah. It's a little bit like an arranged marriage, if you've ever heard one in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, that, I mean, clearly, I, I think one of the reasons that Joe Douglas took the job, a lot, of, a lot of times in the NFL, 
a general manager knows that he's only going to get, he's likely, likely to only get one shot. Remember, 10 years ago, right now, this month, everybody, everybody in the NFL thought, well, the Chiefs are going to be great for a long time. They just stole the brains behind Bill Belichick in Scott Pioli. Right. And four years later, Pioli gets run out of town on a rail. And he hasn't been a general manager since. And look, I happen to think Scott Pioli is very good at his job. But the fact is, sometimes, many times, most times, general managers only get one shot. And that's why I thought that Joe Douglas might have acted precipitously in taking this job. If you're only going to get one shot and you know that, if the uh, you know after the 2019 season, if he stayed employed by the Philadelphia Eagles, Joe Douglas would have been the hottest GM candidate on the market, most likely. Right. And man, wouldn't you have wanted another chance? You know, a better chance. But I think Joe's thinking on this was very simple. Number one, he's got a quarterback. Number two, he's getting a long-term contract, whatever, five or six years, yeah, and he's getting paid near the top of the market. So if, if if he's got a quarterback, if he's got an ownership that totally believes in him, if he's got a head coach who wants him, um, and, and if he knows that if he's got to make a change with the head coach, he's going to be the key guy in picking the next head coach. Um, I don't, I, you know, after the more I learned about it, the more I thought about it, I don't think it's silly at all. Yeah, I think Jet fans are hoping that Joe Douglas has that Flacco magic with their offensive line and their cornerback situation because I I think that's what's keeping Jet fans up at night. But that's a great anecdote about Flacco, uh, how just how involved Joe was in that scouting process. That was pretty interesting. So, so okay, so the season ends December 29th. Uh, on the morning of December 30th in Sports Talk Radio in New York, when they're talking about the Jets, what are they talking about on December 30th in the morning? What's what's the narrative about this team going to be? That they're on the right path. Mm-hmm. That they're absolutely on the right path. Um, they have a bright young general manager. They've got a quarterback who long-term we really think is going to be our guy. We got the kind of defensive team leader in Jamal Adams that you can build around for a long time. Um, We have a a few other, excuse me, Rich, we got a few other pieces on defense. Uh, We need more pieces on defense. We need a franchise tackle. We need one more wide receiver. And uh, I think we're going to get at least one more year out of Le'Veon Bell. So I think people, and look, I could see if everything goes right, I could see the Jets making the playoffs. It would not shock me at all. Um, But the problem in the AFC, as I see it right now, is, okay, let's, and I'm not even, I'm not saying mail it in right now for the Patriots, because I think the Patriots have some issues too. But you've got to think that the Patriots are the likely winners of the division. So let's just say right now that the Jets are competing for a wild card spot and they've got to be one of two teams. And and if you just, let's just say, and I'll just say like the best, the second uh, team right now, in my opinion, 
that absolutely is going to make the playoffs is the Chargers. So let's say the Chargers are one wild card team. And now you, you've got to figure out which wild card team uh, or, or which contenders do you have to beat back to be a wild card team. And I'll line them up in, in no particular order, okay? I'll say the, the Buffalo Bills. And because I'm picking Pittsburgh to win the, the North, the Cleveland Browns, the Baltimore Ravens, and because I'm probably going to pick Indianapolis in the South, the Houston Texans yeah. and the Tennessee Titans, and then, uh, you know, I, I probably wouldn't put Oakland in, in that position yet and not Denver, but there's a lot of people for uh, the Jets to piggyback to make a playoff spot. But in my mind, this is not really the Jets' year. You know, if, I, if I'm a Jets fan, uh, I really think that, you know, 2020 is a more realistic year for us to aim for. I, I'm sure you get us. This question comes up every year. You alluded to it just a moment ago about the Patriots. Every year, oh, that's it. The Patriots are on the decline, and then we see what happens in the end. Do you see any tangible, any realistic chance that they just slip this year, that they just fall back to the pack? Yes, there's. All, I mean, there is a realistic chance. There's no Gronk. You know, I have no idea who's going to run the ball for him. Um, nobody knows. I mean, first of all, is Edelman going to be able to stay healthy? He's really taken a whipping uh, in recent years. Uh, you know, so everybody always thinks every year that Tom Brady's going to, and Josh McDaniels are going to pull a rabbit out of a hat again. And uh, it ought to be okay. But, uh, you know, nobody knows. Nobody, you can't sell insurance for that stuff, as, as Parcells would say. Right. But again, Rich, I'll, t- I'll go back to the Super Bowl. Um, and that morning, uh, they're getting ready to play the Rams. And I can tell you, the Rams were a very, very confident team that day. So what happens? The Patriots outfoxed the Rams. They come out in basically a uh, a 6-1-4 formation, six defensive linemen, and they bring Patrick Chung up on the line to play kind of a wide defensive end. And so right away, the Rams look at this and say, well, we're not going to run on them. And then they try to pass on them. And the Patriots had a great day in pass defense. So, look, holding, um, you know, holding the Rams um, to no touchdowns in the Super Bowl was one of the great accomplishments of Bill Belichick's career. And uh, I, I just think I, I don't find enough logic to suggest that some team in that division right now is good enough to beat them over a four-month period. Yeah, I agree. As long as Belichick and Brady are together, uh, to me, they'll, they'll always be the favorite with those two guys. Um, one, one, I want to veer off just before we wrap. This is a question that, that I think is near and dear to a lot of Jet fans. Uh, if you don't know this already, Peter is on the Pro Football Hall of Fame Selection Committee. I know he's very passionate about that position. Jet fans have been wondering for years about Joe Klecko. Do you think... The next class, which, of course, will be expanded, do you think – how would you assess – do you think he's got a realistic shot or any shot whatsoever? I 
think he's got a shot, but I do think that, um, and, you know, Rich, this is, a, this is a weird thing that happened. I was totally unaware until right before it was announced that the Hall of Fame was going to have a different selection process for this, um, this, this huge class of seniors um, that, uh, you know, basically what they're trying to do is have a what they're going to call a centennial class in uh and 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 enshrine them in 2020 and on the surface i don't have a lot of problems with that but what what i and a lot of my selectors fellow selectors have a problem with is that the rules are going to be different in this class and I, I I'm not sure whether they're going to change them, but there have been quite a few uh, members of the selection committee who've protested because the Hall of Fame <clears throat> wants to uh, engage a 25 member uh, blue ribbon panel of selectors, which would include some people from the NFL, maybe some former Hall of Famers, some real bright. Uh, you know, uh, football minds. And they want to engage these people to basically pick, um, you know, 10 seniors, 10 long-term guys who have, have obviously never, um, you know, gotten into the hall. And I think they want to, if I can paraphrase it, they want to correct a lot of the ills of the distant past. For instance, I think they want this group to be very heavily representative of the 20, 30, and 40. And so if that's the case, if, if that's what they want to do, I think it limits uh, how many of the more, uh, how many of the very modern, more of the more modern players like Joe Klecko, Cliff Branch, who, look, right now I can tell you, my the two top guys on my senior list, um, if, if I were playing God, are Joe Klecko and, and, and Cliff Branch. Um, but again, the, the final story hasn't been written as far as, as, far as uh, who is going to be, uh, who's going who's to run this process and what the priority is going to be. But what I have heard is that they really want to uh, get some of the real old-timers uh, their day in court in front of the committee. Hmm. That's interesting. This is going to be an interesting story to follow as as we get closer yeah. to. Of course, this is select. This is on Super Bowl uh, Day Eve, Super Bowl Super Sunday. Bowl Saturday. Super yeah. Bowl Saturday, next February, when all you guys get together and select it. And so that'll be real interesting. So, uh well, anyway, you've seen him on TV. You can hear his podcast, and you most certainly must read him every Monday morning, Peter King's Football Morning in America on the NBC Sports website. It's mandatory reading for any uh, football fan anywhere. He's the best. Peter, I can't thank you enough for coming on. I really appreciate your insights. Rich, it's been a lot of fun. Call anytime. Look forward to catching up. Thank you. All right. See you down the road, Peter. And welcome back. This is the third quarter. We call this the blind side. This is your chance to blindside me with some questions via Twitter. And, and I'm not just saying this. 
I looked through the questions this week. These were the best questions we've ever had. So I'm going to try to squeeze in as many as I can because they were so good. So pardon me if we go in a little bit of a rapid fire here, but I want to try to get as many in as possible. The first comes from at, and I'm going to botch this name, but at Guarin Camargo. How bad are the issues at linebacker and cornerback in terms of affecting the team's dynamic? Well, they've lost two linebackers, Avery Williamson to a knee injury and Brandon Copeland to a four-game suspension. So uh, the depth is, is an issue at linebacker. And at cornerback, it was rough going into training camp. Now they lose Tremaine Johnson. Personally, I don't think he's going to be ready for week one. So how does that affect the dynamic? Greg Williams is a pretty clever guy. I've talked to some people about around the league about him, and they think he'll play more zone on the back end to protect his corners. And he uses a lot of different fronts. So I think he might be able to scheme around the linebacker issue. Uh, you're going to see some 4-3. You're also going to see a lot of a 4-2-5. It's his favorite nickel package with only two linebackers. So I think that in some ways helps them overcome the Copeland and Williamson losses. Next question from at Polakowski Dave, does Val Holmes make the team? Of course, he's the former Australian rugby star. No, Dave, he don't, he does not make the team, but he will be back on the practice squad. That's part of the agreement with the international program they have with the NFL. So he'll be back. He's a good kid and he, and he's a good athlete. So they're going to work with him. Next one from at Jabberjaw28. What's the likelihood of getting someone like Xavier Rhodes? or Jalen Ramsey? What would it take? Of course, we're talking about two big-name cornerbacks. The Jets are not going to get one of those players. Teams are not selling off top-flight corners. It just doesn't happen. And and even if they were, I'm not so sure the Jets would want to give up you know, a first-round pick, a future first-round pick for that type of player. I, like I said, maybe a smaller traded corner, but not for those type of elite players from teams, by the way, that are in the championship hunt. Next question at beware underscore of Doug. What in your view, why in your view have the jets been so bad at drafting? <laughs> well, uh, is it the culture, the market? Uh, well, we could go on for this for a long time, uh, uh, Doug, but look, here's the, here's the, th- the deal. Uh, the last two GMs didn't do a very good job of drafting. I think they weren't totally qualified. I'm referring to John Itzik and Mike McCagnan. And the bigger reason is just lack of continuity. And by what that I mean, lack of continuity and lack of vision. You're changing coaching staffs a lot. You're changing offensive coordinators. It seems like every other year under Todd Bowles, it was like every year. You can't draft players when the coaches are changing every year. You don't know what type of traits to get in a player. It makes it very difficult to draft when there's not a singular vision. You look at a team like the Patriots, and I realize they're an outsider, but they have a singular vision. They have a system. They know exactly what kind of players they're looking for. The Jets haven't had that. They change GMs. They change coaches. They change schemes. This is why they haven't drafted well. Uh, next question, and I'm going to mispronounce this one as well, but bear with me, at PN underscore Pio, barring no serious injury to Crowder, do you expect to ever see Le'Veon Bell line up as a wide receiver? Good question, and the answer is yes. 
he's not going to be a receiver per se, but I think there'll be probably four or five, maybe six times a game where he splits out wide in the formation. Uh, you look at Pittsburgh. I talked to Todd Haley, the former Pittsburgh offensive coordinator. I talked to him a couple of months ago about Le'Veon. And they did not use him that way as a wide receiver because, quite frankly, he said Ben Roethlisberger was not comfortable with that. So they did what Ben wanted to do, and they kept Le'Veon in the backfield. And if you go back and look at a lot of Pittsburgh tape, a lot of Le'Veon's receptions, and we know he's had plenty, they come with him on checkdown throws, oftentimes when his back is to the defense. He's turning to face Ben. Ben's in trouble, and he knows exactly where Le'Veon's going to be. He dumps it off to him. The coverage is loose because everybody's downfield covering A.B. or Juju Smith-Schuster, and so Le'Veon has room to work. I think the Jets are going to use him differently. I think they're going to try to split him out and use him uh, as a receiver, in the slot, as a wingback. Todd Haley told me, he goes, if if Le'Veon wanted to be, he could be a starting wide receiver in the NFL. That's how talented he is. Uh, just really good hands, really good route runner. And so, uh, yes, I do think you'll see him as, quote-unquote, a wide receiver. And, again, thanks for the Twitter questions. I could have gone on and on here, but um, we'll save some for next week. But that is the end of the third quarter. Welcome back to the fourth quarter. We call this the red zone. We're close to the end. And uh, I try to shake it up here each week. Uh, either I you know, get a little nostalgic or talk about what's going on in the press room. This week I'm going to talk about the press room because this is a very important week in the press room. Those people covering the Jets. See, we have a competition every year. It's called the roster pool. And we pick our, we have a, you know, there's money involved. We wager a little bit. And uh, each writer puts in their projected final 53, and the guy who gets the most right wins the money, wins the pool. There's a couple of catches, though. So our pool is actually due. It must be submitted before the first, the opening kickoff in the first preseason game. So there's a lot of projection that goes on. So this is not something we just come up. We're doing this before they actually play a game, which makes it a lot harder. And, you know, we... Uh, you know, it's based on the 53 players who are on the roster on opening day, not who's on the roster at the final cuts. It's opening day against the Bills week one. And uh, so this gets pretty competitive in the press room. Uh, the guy who runs it is Brian Costello from the New York Post. He's been doing a great job of that. I used to run it years ago. This goes back 25, 30 years. We've been doing this pool. Uh, when I ran it, of course, is always the case, the guy who organizes it never wins. So I pass the baton to Costello, and of course, last year, I win the pool. This year, it's going to be really hard. Usually you can get 48, 49 right to win the pool, but this year with a new coaching staff, a new GM, it is going to be really hard to win with that many. I think the winner might be somewhere around 42 or 43 out of 53. That's what makes it so huff, tough. You got to watch practice. You got to know your stuff. You got to talk to people and you got to get a little lucky. And I can tell you, I'm going to fess up right off the bat. I've already lost a couple of guys and it's never good to lose the guys this early, but I had Chandler Catanzaro on the team as the kicker. He goes and retires. So when that news comes down, obviously, for the few guys who had him on their roster, that's a big hit for us. So that one hurt. I'm also seriously second-guessing my decision to keep Luke Falk as the third quarterback. I do not think that's going to happen, as I alluded to at the top of the podcast. 
And, you know, guys, certain things happen. You can't do anything about it. Avery Williamson blows out his knee. Everyone had him on the roster, so everyone's going to lose him. So for us, it's not that much damage, you know, not not for Avery, of course, but for us, it's not going to affect our roster pool. But so I'm banking on guys. For instance, I have Doug Middleton at safety as a backup. I'm really doubting that. I, I don't think he's going to make the team now. The cornerback situation was just like throwing darts against the wall. I mean, that was a total guess. I have Tremaine Johnson, Daryl Roberts, uh, Brian Poole, uh, Perry Nickerson, which I have questions about, and uh, Alex uh, Kyron Brown, who's been injured. So, again, I'm looking at possibly two losses on the cornerback. So this is a, it's a really fascinating thing. Guys, pay attention to this. We talk about it during the game in the press box. Um, just on who's doing what, this injury might affect this guy, and, and it really adds to it. And it, you really sometimes don't know until opening day when they announce the inactives who's going to win the pool. I promise I will come back after week one and announce to you if I defend my title. And uh, But right now, I'm kind of doubting it. I think there's going to be some others who, who out, outdo me this year, but we'll see. But anyway, thanks for tuning in again to Flight Deck this week. I want to thank our special guest, Peter King, from NBC Sports. He writes the uh, Peter King Football Morning in America. Check it out every Monday during the season. You, you just got to check it out. It's such great stuff. And uh, thanks to my producer, Jeff Scopin. You can get this podcast, Flight Deck, wherever you download your podcasts. And as I said, we're getting close to the nitty-gritty. Once we start up this season, we're going to have some great guests And we'll get into some serious talk once the Jets get into Jets versus Bills in week one. So thanks once again for stopping in. And just remember, if it's fourth down, don't punt. Go for it.